And uh, last time we looked at what it meant to pray like crazy. Uh, this week we're going to look what it means to look at what it means to share like crazy. As I reflected on the crazy ones and the crazy people and called you to be one of them, both of these opportunities, 2018 closure sermon and this one, are privileges. We have a privilege to pray, and we get the privilege to share the gospel as ambassadors of the gospel. I've entitled or subtitled our topic this morning, Turning the World Upside Down, which is a phrase out of Acts chapter 17, verse 6. When uh, Paul had reached Thessalonica and um, went to the temple to teach and preach the gospel there, uh, they went to search for him, uh, to bring harm to him. And as they looked for him, they said, we are looking for those who turn the world upside down. So they meant it for evil, but I find it is a fair topic for our consideration this morning. What does it mean to be called those who turn the world upside down, sharing like crazy, to give you another title, and you know I like titles, uh, what does it mean to be a global Christian? What does it mean to, to think beyond the borders of Bardstown or Marion County or Bullitt County? What does it mean to go beyond um, all of these counties and not only our Jerusalem, but our Judea, our Samaria, on out in concentric circles, all the way to the whole world, okay? That's our, our consideration this morning. But if there was a single takeaway, I want you to understand what it means to be a global Christian. I want you to see the, that it is a privilege for you to share the gospel with everyone you come in contact with. Here's what I know. Let's begin. Here's what I know. Hell is real. Time is short. And Jesus said go. That's a fact. I mean, that is crystal clear in the text of Scripture. Hell is real. Time is short, and Jesus said, go. So when we gather as a church, we gather to worship. Everything we do this morning is worship. We give, it's an act of worship. We pray, it's an act of worship. We sing, it's an act of worship. We teach, it's an act of worship. Everything we do when we come together, we gather to worship. What I'm referencing this morning is what happens when we walk out these doors. And we exit into the parking lot and we get in our car and we turn our car and we leave Nelson County High School. We gather to worship, we scatter, we go out to share. It is our mission. We're called to live on mission. And we have to get this right. Especially as a small church in this community, we have to get this right. I think two of the most uncomfortable questions that I ever get asked are this. How is your prayer life? Makes me squirm a little bit, right? The second most uncomfortable question is, have you shared the gospel with somebody this week? Because there's always room for improvement, I think, uh, to, to be fair, to, to be frank. But if you want to gut me, if, if you want to hit me hard, you know, ask me how I'm doing in my prayer life, which we talked about last week. And ask me if I shared the gospel this week. Those are two questions that can make most Christians pretty doggone uncomfortable, right? Well, I want you to see them together because they're often together. They're hand in glove. One of the texts I looked at last week was Colossians chapter 4. Let me read it to you. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, as he ends the letter, devote yourselves to prayer. Be passionate about prayer. 
Dig in. Be strong in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. So if you're wondering what you should devote yourselves to, that's one area, one privilege or one discipline that you should devote yourself to as a believer. And then he says, keep alert in it and certainly do it with thanksgiving. Then he says, what am I praying for? Look how it goes together with our two topics. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak, conduct myself with, conduct my, myself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. You see the, the positioning of both. Devote yourselves to prayer. And God, my top prayer is God, open a door of opportunity for me to share the gospel. And when I share, it should be a reflection of my godly exemplary life in the community. And it should be done with gentleness and respect, as we'll see in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. So, we're called to devote ourselves to prayer, and now I want to put at your feet and to consider the privilege of devoting ourselves to sharing the gospel, praying for an open door to speak the mystery of the gospel. We need to become good news people in a bad news community or a bad news world. But philosophically, I want you to see where we're coming from. We are not good people sharing with bad people in Bardstown. We are bad people sharing with bad people in Bardstown. That's the beauty of the gospel. We can stand before our neighbors and our community and our families and say, hey, um, it's not like I've got it all figured out and I'm holy and you're not holy and you're to be shamed. It's not shameful, but it's bad people sharing with other bad people or one beggar sharing to another beggar and showing them where the bread is. That's the position. That's the philosophy, that's the heart behind what we do. And to be honest, this is a part of Crossings Barstown. Those of you that have been here from the beginning, this is the story. We have been faithfully sharing with people. The people that are here are reflective of the fact that they've heard the gospel. And as a church, we want transformational growth. Sure, we could go to other churches in the community and ask them to come over to sit under the, the sound teaching of God's word, and we'll get some visitors to do that. But honestly, our mission is those who do not believe, who are not in church, the unchurched or the unreached in our communities. That is our mission. That is our passion. And I want it to be your passion. Not just the leadership's passion, every single one of us here. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And so I think the mark of a healthy church is that they care deeply about their community, that they're passionate uh, about evangelism. And so I want us to make sure that we keep the mission as the mission in this particular church and that we become highly evangelistic as a church and we reach our communities for the sake of the gospel. I want us to be zealous for lost people to be found. I want to see us ourselves as ambassadors and in the rescue business here in our community. 
And to be frank, I keep saying it over and over. It is a privilege. Why? Because Solomon said in Proverbs 11, verse 30, he says, He that wins souls is wise. And we know that the angels in heaven rejoice over one person who repents. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the party that's going on in heaven when someone gives their life to Christ, as I did in June 22nd, 1986. If heaven is having a party and throwing a party, we ought to, too. And I promise you, it's the greatest joy of your life to lead someone to Christ and then to disciple them and watch them grow and, and mature and flourish. Now, you do not have the ability to save people, nor do I. Jesus saves what we're called to do, our responsibility, is to show up. Jesus saves, I show up. And to add to that, the Holy Spirit is really the ultimate evangelist in the whole equation of you sharing the gospel. Furthermore, we're ambassadors of the king. We serve a kingdom. We serve a king. His name is King Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's the king of kings. And he has elected to bring us alongside as his ambassadors. Proclaiming his message that Jesus is the savior of the world, that Jesus saves sinners, right? Furthermore, the reason why we should be crazy about sharing is that Jesus said himself in Luke 19, 10, that I came to seek and to save that which is lost. He told his disciples in Mark, you saw it in Mark 1, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And later in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, his greatest sermon he ever preached, he, he launches right in, look, you're salt and light. Uh, you're to push back darkness, and you're to be this world's conscience, its world's salt and preservative in the sake and for the sake of the gospel. I thought this week, why don't I share the gospel sometimes? And I tried to simplify it. I tried to get my mind around it. I went to James. He was doing dishes the other night, and I, I simply asked her, hey, why aren't you sharing the gospel? She you know, kind of jumped back, <laughs> like, what do you mean, you know, like as if she had failed that day or in, uh, in a moment that I was aware of? And I was just saying, no, generally speaking, why, don't, why, do we, why do we not share the gospel sometimes? Why do we not open our mouths? Why, why do we not share? And so I tried to categorize them. See if you find yourself in these three. These are where I struggle. Either it's the fear of man. It's possible, right? You, you fear man and... It's an awkward conversation. Or there's a fear of failure. You don't know how to share the gospel. It's possibly a knowledge thing, like you're uncomfortable with maybe all the, the simple facts of the gospel, and you're fearful they're going to ask you a question, and you're, you're not going to know the answer, and it's going to be embarrassing in some way, right? Or third, it's a fear of rejection. They won't like you anymore, which is a subset of the fear of man, but it's still, I think, legitimate, if I were to be honest, those, are one, those three are probably the most prevalent and areas that we struggle with when it comes to sharing. Fear of man, fear of failure, I may not know how, and the fear of rejection. It's at least something we should consider this morning. Well, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 5 says, do the work of an evangelist. And John Piper just this week, it was in the prayer, you read it, said this. You're either going, sending, or in sin. And he said, Christians are to be concerned about all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. Hell is real. Time is short. And Jesus said, go. The church, us, 
We are the church. We don't, this is not the church. It's a building. It's a theater. We are the church. The church is an outpost of heaven, said John Stott. Two fears I have. I mean, I want us to be a healthy church, and that means we're going to be an evangelistic church. I want us to have robust theology that results in sharing the gospel with people and a passion for rescuing sinners. But two fears. Two fears is that we could be a, a mile wide, meaning we have lots of people, and an inch deep. I fear that. Second fear. We're a mile deep and an inch wide. Both of those on the spectrum need to be avoided at all costs. We've got to be right down the fairway, right down the center here. Um, we want our let, let our, our, our robust theology and our good teaching produce red-hot evangelists, producing us a passion for rescuing sinners. Another way to say this, I want us to be a missional church. And it's not a program. It's a lifestyle of proclaiming the good news. John MacArthur, my pastor, who I've worked for for 10 years, said the church exists for the world. Church planting, what we're doing, is God's primary mission strategy. The local church is the hope of the world. It is the custodian of the gospel and therefore a hope, the hope of the world. Well, let me look at Matthew 28 with you just briefly. I want to point out a couple of things in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, as a primary text for our consideration. This is the end of the Matthew's gospel. This is the Great Commission. Before the Great Commission, there was a great commandment, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. Love your neighbor as yourself. The outworking of that is then a great commandment, which we see in Matthew 28, verse 16. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated they would meet. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but there were some still doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. This is what he tells them. This is his, his commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples for all the nations, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Disciple-making is not a call for others to come to us. It's not us inviting them to church, although that could be very well part of it. It's not us calling them to come to church. It's us going to them to make disciples. We are to go. That's a signature word in this text. That's why I said, right, Jesus said, go. Hell is real. Time is short. Jesus said, go. Here is the go. So I think sometimes we think evangelism is we invite people in and I share the gospel and you kick back. And that works and that it does happen sometimes. But really our mission is you going. I'm not the missionary. You're the missionaries. We're all the missionaries. We're all called to ministry. Don't make what you do for work. Don't make a dichotomy between sacred and, and spiritual. Everything you do, you live on mission. You are providentially at your work to be a missionary, right? So the disciples are at the right place at the right time. They're available. I just want to point that out. 
as a principle there. They're available. They're with Jesus. They're alongside of Jesus. And then the word authority is another word that you should circle in that text. We go under the authority of Christ. So when we're speaking to people, we speak on the, by the authority of Jesus Christ. It's not my gospel. It's his gospel, right? So there's availability. You're there. You're in, you're in the mix. There is authority. And then there's action. Here's what it was, it is interesting about the Great Commission. There's only one main verb. And that is not the going. Most people say the main verb is go. And I've heard it in every conference, you know. The first two letters of God are go. You know, every, I mean, they just go on and on and on about going. That's not the main verb in the text. The main verb here is make disciples. And you make disciples, and then that main verb is followed by three participles. By what? Going, baptizing, and teaching. So if you were to diagram this sentence, as you know, if you had, remember diagramming? Some of you old enough to have diagramming in school, right? You get the main verb. Remember, we're uh, 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 an S, you know, SVO language, subject, verb, object, right? The main verb is make disciples. How do you do that? By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. That's how it's done. But to make disciples is the mission. And it does start with their conversion, of course, right? So we're teaching, we're baptizing, and we're going. We're teaching them to obey the whole counsel of God. We're teaching them about the obedience of Christ. We're baptizing them as a public testimony to their commitment to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There are no secret Christians. That's what baptism does. It says, no, there's no secrets. You're out before everybody. And it's out of the, the cat's out of the bag. You, you, you are a full devoted, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So you're going, baptizing, and teaching. And then there's the final statement. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We share like crazy because we're spirit-enabled. We have to just show up. And if we show up, guess who shows up? Jesus shows up. And we go by his authority, and there's affirmation that he'll be there with us, giving us the words to say, we just have to show up. The question is, are we showing up? There lies the question, right? Jesus says, you show up. Now, in these two sermons, I have strived to be immensely practical. So let me give you seven Habits of global Christians. Seven habits of global Christians. And I want you to apply these to your life and to your marriage and to your kids and to your family. It's that important. So this is what it means to be an evangelist. This, this, these are the characteristics of evangelists, people who love Christ. If you were to take the distillation of everything I heard this week, it would re be reduced down out of 30 hours of sermons to these seven. Okay? First, first habit of global Christians, evangelists, they are people of prayer. They are people of prayer. You see this in Colossians 4. You see the juxtaposition, how they're tied together. They realize that God can only convict and God can only convert. And so there's evangelistic prayer that has to be true of our lives. 
And so prayer is like pre-evangelism. And so as you pray for people you work with or your neighbors or your community, God begins to prepare the soil of their heart. You're waiting for the opportunity to share. But what's happening in prayer is that preparation work, that preparation work on you to have a burden for your neighbors and on them to prepare the soil so that you can drop in the seed. It's pretty simple practically, though. I would just ask you to get a 3x5 card or a 4x6 card and write down 10 people or 5 people or 3 people or 1 that you're going to share with in 2019 and begin to pray for them. If you were to go to my desk at home, you'd find a, a whole box of 3x5 uh, cards, but you would have neighbors. Jimmy, my next-door neighbor, and uh, the neighbors across the street, and family that are unbelievers. They're all on a card. Why? Because I'm just not smart enough to remember everybody's name. And so I have a day of the week that I pray evangelistic prayers. Not every day. It could be Tuesday mornings. And I pull that Tuesday card out on Tuesday mornings. It says Tuesday in my box. And I'm reminded of them. And I pray for them that God will prepare their heart. And as you pray, I just want you to know that prayer is the secret weapon to effective evangelism. And I would ask you to pray as you're thinking through your card in concentric circles. Where's the first and foremost place, pray, place for you to be evangelist? It's in your home, right? The first stop is in our home. Home is the bullseye of our prayer time and of our evangelism. Our own children. I love what Jim Elliott said. He died young, but he said this as a young man. Children are arrows in a quiver, and they are to be trained as missionaries and shot at the devil. <laughs> I like that. Start at home. Second, our communities. Pray for those in your community. Listen, you didn't just buy that house randomly, okay? You know, it, it, you're not in that neighborhood. You thought you bought that house because you liked it. You're there because God wants you there. It's providence of God that all things work together for his good. So in your community, you're strategically placed there. Now, I know some of you live out in the country, so your neighbors are goodly ways away a.k.a. the Lawsons, it's hard to walk over your neighbor's house. It's just a long way away. But you're there strategically in the community. So not just your immediate neighbors, but we're here in these primary three counties for a reason, right? Third area, your social channels. Your socials, we'll call them. Your social channels are there to keep up with people, not voyeurism, and for evangelism. So use them as such. This morning I was talking about my, uh, or yesterday I was talking about my, last night late, my, one of my good friends, one of my best friends died this past week. And I'm going to the funeral on Tuesday in Florida. And um, so I just talked about what he, um, what was his favorite hymn that I knew. It was the oh, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. And I just put the words out there. Sure enough, my unbelieving neighbor, uh, I'm sorry, roommate in the Navy this is 1985, 1986, responds to that. He's watching me. He's seeing how I live. He's watching what I do. So I'm trying to always think evangelism. And third, the world. The world. Moving out in concentric circles. So it starts in our home, goes to our community, school, workplace, our social channels. And then there's some chance that you're going to have an opportunity to go somewhere outside of your normal influence. The world. Just this month alone, I'll be in Canada South Africa, Jacksonville, Florida. 
just this month alone in, 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 in Denver, Colorado. So I'm going to go outside my normal spheres. And when I'm outside my normal spheres, I'm looking around. What's the opportunity? If I break down, I'm thinking that means that tow truck driver needs Jesus. See what I'm saying? I'm on planes. Some of you fly a lot. I happen to fly a lot. I'm on planes a lot. When I sit down, I'm praying for that person that's coming to sit with me. I know I'm going to share the gospel with them. I know how to get in a conversation with them, and it's going to happen. Unless I get him a coward, which happens too. Second. Second habit of evangelists. They have a theology that compels them to share the gospel. They believe in the urgency of the gospel message. They believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And they believe that anyone without Christ who dies is going to a literal hell. So I can tell you that people who share the gospel regularly uh, believe their theology. They know what happens when people who don't know Jesus die. And so they care deeply about that. And I remind you that evangelism is the only thing we can do now that you will not do better in heaven. Matter of fact, you can't do evangelism in heaven. There'll be no need for evangelism. Everything we do now will be improved upon. Troy is a fantastic worship leader. He'll shake his head and wag no, but he's fantastic. We have a gift in that. But even at our best days, I mean, downhill, Holy Spirit wind blowing, he's out of his mind, we're out of our mind, still comes up short. We're going to worship in heaven a whole lot better. That's just the reality. The one thing you do now that you will not do in heaven is evangelism. So missions is the mission of this church, right? We're ambassadors. There's a couple of tools for you, right? Under this particular principle, we have a theology that compels us. Remember I said one of the things, reasons why people don't share is they may not know how? I don't know, but if you want to equip yourself there are a couple tools I would suggest to yourself. First, I would memorize the Romans Road. Everybody ever heard of the Romans Road? Oh, come on. Thank you, Sister Warren. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Romans Road. It's pretty simple. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, 5.8, Romans 10. Basically, just walks you through. We're all sinners. Jesus died for sinners. You confess by faith. And you are saved. It's called the Romans Road. You should memorize it. It's pretty simple. And then if you're sharing with a Jewish person, it's called the Isaiah Trail. Troy read one of the key texts today on Isaiah 53, but it's Isaiah 26, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 59, Isaiah 64. You can Google this. Google's your best friend here. Just Google Romans Road. Memorize those verses. Memorize them at the table. That's what you share with people. That is the gospel. Why? 1 Peter 3.15 says what? Always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks to give an account for the hope that's in you with gentleness and respect. Right? Salty. Colossians 4. Okay, so if you don't have a Bible with you, which you probably have it on your phone or you should because they're free, right? And you don't know Romans Road and you don't know the Isaiah Trail, then download the free app, Two Ways to Live. It's a great app. I use it on the phone when I have my iPad or on the plane when I have my iPad. And all of a sudden, I want to go into a, a little bit deeper conversation. I'll flip open my iPad and say, hey, you know, there's two ways to live. They're like, what? There is? Yeah, only two. Only two. And it's a track, basically, for your iPhone or your iPad. Download it. It's free. Two ways to live. 
If you want to go even simpler, let me help you. You got to remember five words and you got it. God, man, Christ, repent, believe. God, man, Christ, repent, believe. God is holy. Man is a sinner. Christ is a substitute. Repent from your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Okay, just let's reduce it all the way down. You're talking to your kids. You come at these themes different ways, but that's just five words. All I'm asking is for five words, okay? So people who are good at, at, uh, at being evangelists, they appreciate this theology. They know that people who are going to die without Christ are going to hell. Third habit. They are people who spend time in the word. Right? The scriptures equip you to give an answer. As first Peter, as Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, you have to be able to give an answer. The scriptures are your tool, right? The scriptures kind of sober us up from the intoxicating distractions in the world to keep us on mission. And so the importance of you having your quiet time is to keep you focused on the mission, to keep you compelled, keep you focused on your responsibility and privilege as an ambassador, right? Listen to what Spurgeon said in the 18th century. God save us from living in comfort while sinners are sinking into hell. We're all full-time missionaries. Martin Luther, the reformer, 1572, it is the duty of every Christian to be Christ to his neighbor, right? That's why Piper could confidently stand this week and say, you're either going yourself, you're sending people to go to the mission field, or you're in sin. There's, there's really no ambiguity there. Fourth habit of highly evangelistic people, they are compassionate people. Their heart breaks for those who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Evangelism has been called the sob of God because rescuing men from sin is God's great concern. Jesus did what when he came into Jerusalem? You remember? It's one of the shortest verses in all the Bible. Most of the kids know it. What did he do when he came into Jerusalem? He wept. Jesus wept. If you want to memorize scripture, Young people, you can say, not nailed a verse this week. Jesus wept. There it is. Mark, Matthew 23, 37. I think the most compelling, though, is Romans 9. Uh, Romans 9, uh, to me, is, is just unbelievable. This is Paul uh, kind of peeling back um, the facade and letting us see his heart. In Romans 9, he says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit on this. That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, and the temple services and the promises, who are the fathers for whom is Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blesses forever, amen. Do you hear what he said? He said, I wish myself to be accursed. That word accursed, anathema, you ever heard of the word anathema? It means damned to hell. He said, I wish that I would be damned to hell if that was possible, not theologically possible or practically possible, but if it was possible, I would give up my eternal destiny for the sake of Israel if they would repent and believe. Wow. 
That's a burden. Right? We must be sad about people going to hell. Fifth, habit. To love the communities where God has placed us. We're in this community. We're part of this community. And we should let our light shine in our communities. Jesus said, this shall all men know that you are his disciples when you have love for one another. When we love each other, it's unearthly. And people go, man, I want what they've got, right? John Knox pleaded with God, give me Scotland or I die. The question is, do you love Bardstown? Do you love your county? Do you love your community? And listen, it's going to get dark. The darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. Sinners are supposed to sin. No kidding. Like, we have to be focused here. We need to love our communities. And that means we don't dislike people. We love them. The cross offends. We don't offend. The cross will offend at times. But, well, all the time. But we don't offend. We're to do it with respect and gentleness as Paul says, seasoned with salt. We're to be a, an enhancement to the gospel and how we articulate. Number six. Sixth habit of global Christians, they are intentional about evangelism. They pray. They look and they act. They pray, they look, they act. Let me give you some tips about how this works. If you're going to engage in this, and Monday morning, I don't want you to be a Monday morning atheist. I want Sunday to be a high point and Monday to be even higher and Tuesday higher because we're on mission, right? Think strategically. We have to be alert to divine appointments, right? Nobody is better equipped, if you're thinking strategically, than you to share with your neighbor. Oh, I could be imported. I could, I could jump in the middle of your neighborhood. You could invite me over for a barbecue, and that can work. But you're the best the most equipped to share with your neighbor. When it's possible, go for long walks. I took a long walk yesterday just because, not only because it's healthy and I needed some fresh air and it's a beautiful day, but go for long walks. And I'm looking for people to strike up a conversation. A little harder in the winter than it is in the spring or summer. But let's talk about work. Talk to your coworkers. Use your break times. Use your lunch time. Go to lunch with unbelievers, right? Volunteer at nonprofits. And not just Christian ones, but secular ones. Participate in community events, right? Serve your neighbors, shovel, snow, rake leaves. You see them trying to load a bed into their house or one of those 70-inch TVs and you're jealous. Serve your neighbors, okay? So think, think strategically. Second, think creatively. Have your eyes wide open, intentional about the gospel. So when I say creative, host a barbecue. Everybody's going to eat. Three meals a day are three opportunities for the gospel. Open your home. And I know what you're thinking. My home's not perfect. I don't, nobody cares, honestly. I don't care if you're in yard chairs in your home. You can share the gospel. Open your home. It doesn't have to be perfect. And if you think, oh, no, I'm not the greatest cook, or I, I don't have time to cook, and it's just not going to be all perfect, Order a pizza. You won't be distracted running around getting dishes done and ordering up everything anyway. You just put that large, you know, impelazaries right, boom, right in the middle of the table. And you just go to town. You're right in the gospel conversation. Late night dessert. We did this Friday night. Had a family over 
for, for dessert. We got it from the pie kitchen. We didn't bake it. We don't like that, but we did it anyway. The refugee crisis. You didn't have to go international, folks. There's tons of refugees all around. You're vigilant at work. Be a regular to all the places you frequent. Same barber, same barista, same dry cleaner, same place you get your hay, whatever it is. Be a regular. Frequent the same places. Don't look for the cheapest deal in town. Look for gospel opportunities. Don't worry about the coupon. Worry about Christ in the situation. Redeem a holiday on a plane. Leading questions. Restaurants. Right? Living on mission. So you're thinking creatively. You're now pivoting your family to think outside the box. Third, think sacrificially. Listen, listen. Being an evangelistic can be expensive. <laughs> in the sense that you... you you have to sacrifice, right? You, you give up some time. I, sure, I'd like to hang around with a bunch of believers, but I need to hang around unbelievers. Or sure, I could go to a free gym at, at Southern Seminary because I'm an employee there as well, but I choose to go to a secular gym, so I'm around unbelievers. It's more expensive. It's more expensive to plant a church, and that's what we are doing here, planting a church, because it's more expensive. There's things you give up. It's sacrificial. I realize that. We don't have a robust children's ministry. Go to Southeast. I was there in their gym yesterday and went, just looked around and went, holy smokers. This place is awesome. You know, We don't have some of those things. But by your presence, I appreciate your sacrifice, right? Church planting is a costly endeavor. Right? And we live in this pluralistic world and you've got to sacrifice. You've got to learn different cultures. So my neighbor to my left is, is Muslim. My neighbor to the right is Peruvian. Neighbors across the street are from Turkey. So they're Arabic, but not Muslims, right? I mean, this all that's on my block. I don't have to go anywhere to share the gospel. It's right there. So eat with unbelievers, open your home and family. Think sacrificially and forth, think prayerfully. Right, think prayerfully. Make a card, write down some names, etc. Number seven, seventh habit of evangelistic people, global Christians, those who turn the world upside down. They're accountable to someone for their evangelistic activities. They're accountable. They know that many good activities can replace the Great Commission, which is the best activity. Good can, if you're not careful, folks, replace the best. So they make certain that someone holds them accountable each week, either formally or informally, for their evangelistic efforts. If you don't bring the card to the table, um, maybe your wife should say, hey, where's the card, Turbo? Or maybe you should just make it a general conversation once a week to check in on the way to church. And say, hey, who did we talk to about Christ this week? Right? Have you told somebody about Christ this week is a fair question. Just like those two questions that bring about angst in all of us. Um, have you been praying? And two, have you been sharing the gospel? Are you praying like crazy and sharing like crazy? This is the challenge for 2019, right? It's a fair question. I'm not going to guilt you into sharing. Because you know what? It's a privilege. It is a privilege. It is also a responsibility, but I'm, I'm emphasizing, I'm accenting. It's a privilege. 
And so here's my challenge as we wrap up with these seven habits. I want you to set a goal. Already in 2019, most people are already jammed up their goals. I want you to add one. I want you to have 10 gospel conversations this year. This year, you still got 12 months almost to get this done. 10 gospel conversations. I want you to write them down on a piece of paper. You can write them on the edges here, just the names of people, write them all the way around. And get a three by five card. You can type it into Google Doc. And I want you to hold each other accountable to that. 10 gospel conversations with unbelievers this year. Why? Because I want us to be highly intentional. I want it to be the mission of what we do. And it's how we reach people. It's how we transform our culture. One person at a time. It's our raison d'etre, as the French say. Our reason for being as a church. This is what we do, right? This is what God has called us to. In conclusion, I want you to love Jesus. I want you to love people. And I want you to love witnessing and sharing the gospel. And I'll add a fourth. I want you to love life. Don't be weird in your communities. Do it with gentleness and respect. Weird doesn't draw people to Christ. Winsome does. Right? I want you to be a happy Christian. God has given you all things in this world to enjoy. Be a happy Christian. Make it like, man, this is the greatest life. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Not boring, pensive, sad, grumpy, angry, but winsome and happy. And So love Jesus, love people, love sharing. And love life. That's the challenge to you in 2019 as we conclude these two sermons. Pray like crazy. Share like crazy. Both privileges. Both responsibilities. Both spiritual disciplines. And by way of action, I want you to have ten conversations. Ten gospel conversations. If you're not a Christian this morning, then I would encourage you to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you. Way more than I could ever love you. Way more than anybody in this room could ever love you. And we would ask that you'd repent of your sins and follow in the mercies of Christ. And the first prayer out of your mouth, it should be, help, Lord. Help me as a sinner. Save me as a sinner. Repent and believe. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. And God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with your heart, He'll save you. And that is simply the gospel. Let's close by praying for the senders this morning. And then Troy will come up and lead us in a song. And we'll take the Lord's table together. This is a prayer for those who send. You know the distinction, right? Going is, you're going on mission. And this is for those who send. And some of you can't go. Uh, you shouldn't go. When I'm talking global missions, I'm talking overseas, uh, maybe to some hard-to-reach places. Um, but you can send, right? You can pray, you can send, you can be a part. And so we have the previous pastor of this church has gone, right? He's, he's a goer. And we're senders in, in all of that. So this is how we should send. This should be acute to us in what we do. So let me pray as a means of closing our time of teaching 
And we'll enter in a time of the Lord's table after this. Gracious Father in heaven, we pray for those whose calling is to send your emissaries to the unreached peoples of the world. Just pause right there. Uh, there are 6,400 unreached people groups. Represents about 50 billion people. To hold the ropes as they descend the cliffs. Forbid that any of your people should think that this is great, that this great global cause is not their affair. Grant instead that your purpose to be known and glorified among all the peoples of the world would be the thrill of every Christian soul here. Oh Lord, teach your sending people that they are not their own. They are bought with a price. Show them that their bodies, their souls, their minds, their family, their skills, and all their possessions are yours. Cause them to know and to feel, feel the joyful privilege that they are stewards, managers, and not owners. Take them deep into your holy word and show them your Christ-exalting, mission-advancing, soul-saving purposes for their lives and resources. Protect them from the illusion that pursuing riches will satisfy. Show them that your purpose for their possession is that you use them to show that Christ is more precious than our possessions. Father, make your senders more than givers. Make them dreamers and travelers and encouragers and studiers and trainers and strategizers and mobilizers and intercessors. Father, catch them up into the greatest enterprise in the world, your mission to magnify Christ among the nations. Don't let them waste their lives on things that don't last. And when they grow weary, remind them with great faith that you will make all grace abound to them, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, they may abound in every good work. In Jesus' name, amen.